Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. Once upon a time, there were three little pigs who each built a house. And one pig used straw, and he built his house in a single day. Another built his house out of sticks in about three days. And then there was the, the oldest uh, pig who built his house out of bricks. You guys remember this story, right? Right, the two little pigs build their houses really fast and allows them a lot of time to play. The oldest pig builds his house out of bricks, slowly and painstakingly over the course of a few weeks while his two brothers look on and laugh at him for taking so much time and effort to do it. However, one day, the big bad wolf comes along and like a storm blows over these houses of sticks and straw, makes these houses look like, I don't know, a house of cards. They just blow right over. And the two little pigs who didn't spend much time on their houses have to bite their tongues as they move in now with their older brother. And you know, you know why I like that story? Because there's so much wisdom in it. It's it's timeless wisdom for us and for our kids. You know, to do things right, it takes hard work and it takes discipline. It takes the ability to say no to the easy road, the road of instant gratification, and to say yes to doing what is right and in the long term is going to bring the greatest blessing. And that reminds us of Jesus' words in Matthew 7, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus compares those who listen and act on his word with those who listen to his word, but they don't actually act on them. They don't act on on Jesus' words. Those who listen and act on Jesus' words are those who build their houses on the rock. They have a firm foundation. They're not like those who build on the sand. So when the rains and the winds come or the big bad wolf comes... There's only one house left standing. And so in our God-designed marriage series, hey, we have a PowerPoint up there, Gavin. Uh, In our God-designed marriage series, we've been looking to build strong uh, marriages and homes. But every marriage is also going to face some storms. And the storms test what we've built our houses out of. Every marriage is going to face the big bad wolf. And one of the most uh, frequent storms that test marriages are the financial storms. Financial storms. The big bad wolf of, of, of financial uh, crisis. right? And that's why we're going to lay in our series now our, our seventh and final building block called the cash. We've had this... Uh, Pretty tacky, but hopefully somewhat memorable alliteration going on. 
uh, in this God-designed marriage series, right? the culture, the canvas, the covenant, the cash, that sort of thing. And, and last week I said I expected this to be the last message in our series, right? Uh, but uh, it morphed into two parts this week, kind of like an amoeba, just duplicated itself. So we have like two-part series now, and Lord willing, this is our last building block, though. If I um, was going to lay another building block after this, I would call it the coffee, because I think every marriage needs coffee, right, for it to be healthy. Coffee and conversation, but I'm just joking. Um, so far, this is what we've been through, guys. We've looked at the culture. These are different building blocks. We've looked at the culture, how, how marriage is not a social construct. This is something God created uh, right there at the beginning of the foundation of the world, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. First institution God ever created and uh, designed it to be a blessing on, on, our, on us and our homes and on society and the world. And uh, if we're going to experience uh, fulfilling oneness and intimacy in our marriages, right, because that's why we got married in the first place, uh, we wanted that fulfillment, that oneness, um, we've got to do marriage God's way. We've got to listen to God's word and act on it. And then we've looked at uh, the canvas, how marriage paints a heavenly picture of the triune nature of God and uh, Christ's relationship with the church. We've looked at the covenant. It's not a contract. It's a lifelong covenant. We've looked at the charge, how God has given us biblical roles, the role of the husband to, to lead by loving his wife and headship, and then the, the wife's responsibility or charge to uh, respectfully submit to her husband. And uh, we've looked at the care, the preventing unnecessary conflict, responding to conflict. We've looked at the closeness, the intimate side of marriage, and some ways to stay pure. And then the children, last week, how we can rear children in God's, God's way. Today now, we're, we're looking at the cash, uh, how we can manage God's money God's way. And uh, money is, like I said, this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for marriages today. If you look at any of the statistics taken on why marriages end in divorce, it's the, you know, the big bad wolf is always knocking at that door. Or he has been knocking at that door. Uh, the financial troubles is always near the top as a contributing factor in any of the statistics. Many have said it's the number one reason for divorce, the reason why the 50%, uh, it's the reason for 50% of marital failures and the number one topic that couples argue about. And so financial problems uh, uh, are hard on marriages. They, they drain us mentally, emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically, uh, and when you combine that sort of financial stress with some other unresolved conflict, I mean, it's just a recipe for disaster. It's a marital crisis waiting to happen. And uh, most couples start off on the wrong foot because we come into marriage with debt, right? A bunch of debt. Like, just think the most weddings cost around $25,000. That's what the, the average wedding costs, and then you add that $6,000 on wedding rings. I mean, here we are going into marriage with a pile of debt. We're getting off on the wrong foot, and, and um, you know, we're, we're privileged to live in one of the greatest, in the greatest country in the world with freedom and opportunity and wealth like no other country has ever known in the history of the world. This, this uh, Christian church in America has been able to give to missions more than any other church in history. I mean, it's pretty amazing the privilege we have, and as, but as great as it is, 
To be a Christian living in the United States in this land of opportunity, it's also become a terrible snare. It's become a snare for us because many couples in the U.S. are still living in this land of prosperity, paycheck to paycheck. And we've got a terrible pile of debt. We most have, 70% of us have more debt than we do savings. Uh, we have little or no savings, and the result has been um, houses made of straw and sticks. And uh, we could say one of, the, one of our greatest problems is that of contentment, right? Uh, too many couples trying to keep up with the Joneses and trying to keep up with our moms and our dads, and that's what Proverbs, you know, our moms and dads took 30, 40 years to build what they have, right? To save and to build, and, uh, but, you know... We want everything now. We want instant gratification, and we want to keep up with mom and dad. And Proverbs calls that building your house before you build your barn. Um, Dave Ramsey says we've got a. And by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention Dave Ramsey a lot. I hope it's probably a familiar name. I hope it is. Um, he's got a lot of good things to say. I think in the world of biblical finance, he's also got some not so good things to say. The way he says it sometimes, but. I do, I do enjoy him. But he says, we're too busy buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Right? <laughs> and uh, when we get into that situation, we start to do that. We start to live to impress others or to live for my happiness. Right? And we don't ex- have any self-control. We, we end up turning our dream house into a, a nightmare, more like a haunted house, a house of horrors. And so... Um, this is, this is a common problem. This is where most marriages are at, and it's not capitalism's fault. It's, in most cases, we've just plain overlooked common sense, biblical money principles that God and our grandma, who went through the Great Depression, tried to pass down to us, and we just didn't listen. Right? We thought we were going to beat the odds. But I like to think of money as a magnet. Uh, magnets, right? you, you got two magnets... And if you use them one way, right, they're going to repel each other. They're going to push each other away. But you turn those magnets around, what do they do? Right, they stick together. Uh, They become inseparable. And uh, that's why I'm excited to talk about money and marriage today, because money and marriage works a lot like that. Money can be an exciting way to glorify God uh, every day, because we use it nearly every day. Married couples uh, can be such a powerful, God-glorifying team with their finances. I mean, if they get on the same page with their finances, it can bring a couple together closer than they've ever been, just like those two magnets. And it can transform their lives, and it can transform uh, lives around them. And they become a very powerful team for the glory of the kingdom of God. And Howard Dayton, he's the founder of uh, Crown Financial Ministries, another big name in Christian finance, He writes in his book, Money and Marriage, God's Way. Uh, The twin subject matters here. Money and marriage are too important to take lightly. We're not just talking about dollars and cents here. We're not just talking about credit cards, budgets, and number crunching. We're talking about lives. We're talking about precious lives of your wife or husband or children and grandchildren, perhaps of generations to come. How you handle your marriage in the context of finances and how you handle your finances in the context of marriage will go a long way toward determining whether or not you have a life that's really worth living. 
right? He, he, what he means by that is God, he wants you to have an abundant life. I'm not a prosperity preacher, believe me. If you listen to me long enough, you'll find that out. We don't always talk about money around here. It's actually too rare that we talk about it. But God wants you to have an abundant life, and he's got all these biblical principles in his word to teach you how to handle money so that it's a blessing in your life and not a curse. And it's an important topic for us because we use money nearly every single day. Every day we use it, we work for it, we think about it every day, and that's why the Bible talks so much about it. Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. Uh, the Bible brings up the subject of money more than 2,000 times, 2,300 sometimes. It's a, it's, a, it's a big topic because uh, God wants us to know how to use it and to use it right so that it's a blessing and not a curse. He wants us to have that abundant life, not shackled by debt so that what? We can give generously. We can give generously. We can have financial peace, you know. Uh, it also talks about money a lot because what we think about money and how we use money is a very telling expression of where our heart is at with God. Amen? Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what am I living for? Money is something we can live for. It can become our God or it's something that we can use every single day to glorify God. Isn't that cool? You can glorify God by the way you handle your money. And I'll tell you this, if you take this seriously, this message seriously today, you, you listen to God's word, you act on it, you start getting financially fit, it's going to transform your life, it's going to transform your marriage, it's going to transform your relationship with God. It is a, it's, a, it's a key issue okay, in your life. You start getting your money in order, you start getting your life in order. Now, primarily, again, we're going to focus on how a married couple can manage money God's way together through the next couple of messages, but I'm also glad that our college students are back today and that we're not done with this marriage series because there is a student loan crisis in the United States. Right now, the federal student loan debt is $1.7 trillion Dollars. That's like almost as much as the government's debt, right? No, just kidding. Uh, that's $400 million in more debt, though, than there is in car loans combined. So student loans are through the roof. Some people are paying more on their student loans than on their mortgage, and they're expecting to die with their student loan payment. Isn't that sad? I'm going to go to college, get a loan, I'm going to die with that debt. I don't even plan to pay it, or I, I expect the government to pay it for me someday. Every minute, more students are defaulting on their student loans because it's like paying a second mortgage for some people. And I don't say that to scare you college students, um, but to get you thinking about paying those, those things off. Pay those things off as fast as you can because you can't, don't expect the government to bail you out, Okay. I don't know uh, much about Shadron State and how expensive it is. I'm sure the choice to go here is much less than, uh, you know, your average university. But I don't want you to live with that debt the rest of your life. And I don't want you, ideally, to take that debt into your marriage. Because it does bring stress into it. The borrower is the slave to the 
splendor, right? It does. It brings stress. It, it, it messes with you. So um, that's my encouragement to you is to get serious about that debt, to pay it off before graduation and or marriage, ideally. And if you want something good to watch, uh, a good documentary on this, watch Borrowed Future. Uh, that's by the Ramsey team. Borrowed Future. Uh, it's a, an award-winning documentary. Uh, my wife and I have watched it. And if you're interested and you want to watch this thing and you don't want to pay for it because you got student loans, I'll pay for it. Right? Come to the church. Uh, we got anything going on on Tuesday night? What time do we got to be the dentist on Wednesday morning? What? 11. They can make it. Okay. Come to the church on Tuesday night. Watch Borrowed Future. I'll pay for it. I'll stream it here. And come up afterwards and let me know that you're interested in coming because I don't want to show up and no one be here. But uh, anyway, our first major heading today and the first step on the road to purpose and peace in our finances is to understand this. This is the big one. God is the owner and master of everything. Even ourselves. John Labar, you talked about that this morning in the adult Sunday school. Fantastic. It's amazing how this all just ties together with what you said. God does that. God is the master and the owner of everything. And we are then simply stewards of his. I mean, we live in a master and steward relationship. And a steward is someone who is entrusted with something that belongs to someone else. Right? So, so a steward is a manager. He might be a manager, but he's not the owner. And we tend to think right, that, our, that our money is ours. And we give God you know, the little 10%, the tithe or whatever you want to call it. But in reality, everything belongs to God, including all of my income, gross and net. Okay? Everything belongs to God, not just the tithe, and we've got to get that through our minds. In First Chronicles 29, I read it this morning, but uh, David says this. You see his, uh, his view of money and possessions here, which should be ours as well. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty, the splendor for everything in heaven is yours. And yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. You see, that wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things in your hands. Our strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? They had brought uh, offerings uh, to the temple to build the temple. Uh, And he says this, for all things come from you and from your hand, we're going to give back to you. Everything comes from God. When we give to God, It's not because he needs us. We're giving back to him what he's already given us. Isn't that great? Um, Psalm 59 through 12, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Every, Every cow out there is mine, the birds in the mountains, the insects in the fields. If I were hungry, God says, I wouldn't tell you. (laughs) You ever wonder if God gets hungry? Well, he's not going to tell you because the world is his and all everything that's in it. He's not going to ask you for something to eat. Isn't this 
That's, that's biblical money and possessions 101. Everything belongs to God, even our money. It's His money. You might say, well, I, I worked hard to earn that money. True. Yes, that's true. And God's Word would say that's your reward for your hard work. And there's several verses in your notes to uh, confirm that. But remember that even the breath that you have in your lungs, the heart that is beating in your chest, the, the life that you have in your body, the skill, the ability, the talents, they all come from God. He keeps our heart beating. He keeps us breathing. He's the one, you know, I don't know about you, but I took my jacket off this morning. I didn't have any battery pack back there. Where's life coming from? I don't have a gas tank, right? God is the one. He's life, and He allows us to keep going. Everything comes from Him. Our breath, our life, He's the great I am. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need anything. He's the self-existent one from whom all things come and from whom all things are uh, um, sustained. He creates the creator and the sustainer of everything. And that's the greatest truth that we need to embrace this morning as we get into finances. Because if you appropriate this, and you know what I mean by that, right? If you appropriate this, if you, you mentally you take hold of it and you believe it. You don't just think about it and do away with it. You think about it and you accept it. You take it in. You believe it. Your attitude towards money and all your possessions is going to change because technically now you don't own anything. To me, that doesn't make me mad. That's a relief. I'm just a manager. I don't own this stuff. It doesn't have to weigh me down. It doesn't have to stress me out when I lose it. See, your, your money is not your money. It's God's money. You simply become a steward of God's resources. I wonder if you've ever had anyone be so blunt about this with you. It's kind of a shock to the system just to say it. But my money's not my own. It's God's. I'm just a steward. I'm just, I'm just the steward in the parable of talents. And, and, and I'm going to be judged based on how I stewarded God's resources, God's talents. Matthew 25, right? When you get this, though, you, you start to develop a steward's attitude. You ask, how does God want me to handle his money? And when you get this, it's going to transform your marriage. Here's where we're coming back to marriage now. Okay, You start thinking this way, you're less likely to fight over stuff that doesn't belong to you. We're not going to fight over things. Because God's the owner of this stuff anyway. He can do with it what He wants, right? It's not technically mine. We're less likely to be emotionally attached to things. We're less likely to be proud, thinking that we're the sole captain of our own destiny. And we've built this out of our own strength, this, this kingdom of ours, with our mighty minivan, right? <laughs> that was something. Um, we're less likely to fear, wondering if, we're ever going to have enough money if we're ever going to go through some difficulty and have enough, you know, it's the loss of a job, it's the medical bills that are piling up, it's the expensive home repairs, how are we going to pay for it? We're less likely to fear. Why? Because we have Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. Did you know that's one of God's names, Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. Uh, Philippians says the God who will provide for all of our needs, not our wants necessarily, but all of our needs. 
I want a Lamborghini, but I kind of need a minivan. God's provided a minivan, not a Lamborghini. But he's Jehovah Jireh. We're more likely, now we're more likely to be content, too, as a couple, as a married couple. If God decides to entrust us with more, and hallelujah, praise the Lord, this is great. But if our house tonight goes up in smoke, which I hope it doesn't, but if God takes it away, then so be it, right? We know God's in control. We know He works together for good. It's not our house anyway. John Wesley, funny story. He said this when his house burned down. He said, the Lord's house burned, period. One less responsibility for me, exclamation mark. See his perspective on his house? It's the Lord's house. God can do with it what he wants. I like that. We're more likely to give, too, if we have this in mind, that it's not our money. We're more likely to give because we trust God and not our money. That's a big problem. We tend to trust our money. The uh, Bible says, trust God, not your money. And giving is a joy. It's a way of saying, God, you're first in my life, and I trust you to take care of me. So I'm going to give. And then we're also more likely to be faithful and prayerful with our money. Faithful and prayerful. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, it says, it's required that stewards be found faithful. And if we're faithful with little, we can be trusted with much, Right? So if you want financial purpose and you want peace and you want financial freedom, here's where you start. If you want to you follow Jesus Christ, you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to follow Him in your finances as well. And this is usually one of the last areas, areas of our lives that we surrender to Him. But you've got to say, Lord, everything I have is Yours. Everything I have is yours. And in prayer, I would encourage you to yield all that you have to him. Just say, God, it's all yours. You do with it what you wish. I redid this with my house this week. It was so freeing. Lord, this house is yours. I love living out there by the state park. It is beautiful. I don't enjoy the turkeys pooping on my lawn. But it is a beautiful place out there. But, you know, I'm not going to cling to it. I'm not going to hold it so tightly that it gets me upset if it burned down tonight. I'm going to say, Lord, where's your next house that you would have me live? Put me next to a new neighbor that I can reach for Christ. Something like that, right? God, give me, give us. Here's your prayer. God, give me, give us as a married couple uh, wisdom to handle, handle your money wisely so that it's a blessing in our lives and to you and not a curse. Because you want to glorify God by the way you handle money. And it, you do that, and it takes so much pressure off of you. God is your financial advisor. He's the ultimate financial advisor. So we need to look to Him first. Now, uh, we're going to move on to the second heading, our part as stewards. Stewards. God's the master, we're the stewards. In the beginning, think about this. God created man to steward His creation. You were created to be a steward. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, 28 says, Let man subdue and rule over the earth. Psalm 8, 4 through 6 reflects on this, and it says, You have made man a little lower than God. You have crowned him with glory and majesty. You have him rule over the works of your hands. 
you have put everything under his feet. So unlike the animals, man was meant to rule for God, with God, for God. However, what happened? Do you remember? Adam was this perfect steward for a little bit of time. And then what happened? Satan deceived him. Adam thought he could become his own God, Adam and Eve. The world fell into sin, and who took over the world? Satan, right? Satan is now the ruler and the prince of this world. Yes, Christ reigns on high, but for right now, until the kingdom comes, Satan is still, in a sense, a ruler, ruler and prince in this world. And uh, Hebrews tell us, tells us, though, Christ has come to do what? He's come to redeem man and to restore man to that original image. Part, that's what, part of what it means to be made in the image of God is to be a good steward over God's creation, God's stuff. And uh, Christ is going to come again. He's going he's to rule as the last Adam and the perfect Adam and his saints with him. Isn't that great? We're going to rule with Christ, the millennial kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth forever. Think about that. Think of what man was created to be. You were created to be a steward and a faithful one. Sin has made you an unfaithful steward. And we need to repent and ask God to make us faithful stewards again. Faithful stewards of God's marvelous, beautiful creation. And through Christ, He wants to make us faithful stewards again. That's an amazing thought. And I tell you what, God honors those who are faithful in this area of finances. And that's part of the, re- part of the reason why I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this, because I've, I've lived as my own God, thinking that this was all my money. I've lived under the pile of debt, Buying things. I don't need to impress people I don't even like. Right? I didn't have the money, but I bought it anyway to impress people. And it's so miserable. Because you look rich, you look like you got money, but you got nothing. You're dirt poor. And if you lose your job, bankruptcy, right? Selling the home, selling whatever, selling the bike, the truck the toys. But when you start to handle money God's way, it becomes such a blessing, such a blessing. And my wife and I, I'll just be honest, we have decided, this is part of the reason why I'm so excited and why I'm so, I don't know, so have so many words about this this morning. Not that that's different from any other Sunday. But my wife and I, this January, decided that's our goal this year. We're going to be more prayerful and intentional with our finances than we've ever been before. I mean, we were kind of doing it, right? We're doing pretty good, doing things God's way, but we became intentional and we became prayerful. Actually praying about our finances. How can we glorify God with our money? And God has confirmed, Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. I mean, we have seen God bless us in unbelievable ways. That's how we had an anonymous donation come in. That's how we were able to buy the whole church books on marriage. We were able to take several months off our mortgage. And we were able to meet all of our financial goals just this week on Wednesday. We did that without that anonymous donation. And 
God's just good. I mean, if you give your finances to God, he's going to bless you. He does. He just does that. Obedience brings blessing. And uh, you know what was cool? Is going out and getting some ice cream on Wednesday night and telling our kids, we met our financial goals this year. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. And we get to talk to them. We get to instruct them about biblical money, finances and money. But um, let's, look at, let's start getting into these uh, money principles, marriage and money principles. We've got four of them. Number one, become uh, one in your finances. Become one in your finances. The first thing that a typical married couple needs to do to become a powerful team for God is to go down to the bank and get joint bank accounts, right? You just got married. First thing you do, go get joint bank accounts. In premarital counseling, I will tell a couple that if they don't plan on joining their bank accounts, they can count me out on joining them together in officiating their marriage. That's how seriously I take this. I make them promise me that they will. Now, I can't make them, but I make them promise to me that they will. In marriage, you are one. You become one. To become one, your whole life's become blended, and that means your finances become blended too. And the only exception to this would be a blended family, maybe where things can be a little more complex. Okay, For example, the spouse um, with kids from a previous uh, relationship who experienced financial infidelity might need some time to build trust and security in that area again. Because financial infidelity is a serious thing. It's a big hurt, okay, to overcome. Maybe they, maybe they need that, I don't know, they remarry, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But that's something for, at least for the new spouse to think about it, that, is that this is a past area of abuse and it's going to be very sensitive to them. However, they're still going to be required to work as a team in their finances, as is every couple. In marriage, it's not his money and her money anymore. I'll even say this while I'm officiating a marriage. Right? It's not his money, it's not her money anymore, it's our money. And technically, it's God's money, right? But the only time a couple, I think, should have his money and her money is by agreeing on personal equal allowances in their budget. You got to start out there. There's no, that means there, there's no secret bank accounts. There's no secret exit plan account, right, where I'm tucking away some few bucks here and there in case this goes south. That's not commitment. That's not a covenant mindset. There's no secret purchases. I'm going to hide this from her sort of thing. We're all in. We're all in. We're being totally honest. We're being totally transparent. It's helpful to think, and that's money principle number two, agree to equal personal allowances. Uh, money and marriage principle number three would be to make good deposits in your spouse's trust account. It's helpful to think that each spouse has an invisible trust account. So by making good deposits in their trust account, good, good, good communication, good honesty, ding, good transparency, ping, right? You can hear the money hitting the bottom of the piggy bank. Good communication, honesty, transparency. You're building their trust. But if there is deception and I'm secret with my money and I'm hiding things from my spouse and I'm making secret money purchases, that trust account is being broken, right? The piggy bank is broken, not built. 
And there's going to be hurt, there's going to be anger, there's going to be feelings of betrayal, and it's going to just destroy the marriage. I've seen it. I've seen it done. I've seen couples do this and, and ruin, a, ruin a, a relationship that was going on 40, 50 years. All of a sudden, we become deceptive about our money, and it's out the window. If, if, if trust is broken in your relationship, there's got to be genuine repentance and faithfulness to build that trust account back up again. And if you're in a relationship where there is financial infidelity, I think you should seek counsel as soon as possible. Um, one of the ways, though, that you're going to foster oneness and, and trust and you're going to avoid some pitfalls is by that uh, leaving and cleaving principle we talked about last week. If you missed last week, uh, uh, look that up. We talked about leaving and cleaving. Leaving and cleaving comes from Genesis 2.24. It's foundational. Uh, we leave our parents and we're joined to our spouse, right? We, so we quit relying on our parents and now we start to rely on our spouses. The spouses become a team and the, the marriage bond now takes precedence over the familial bond, the bond of family and procreation. And one of the, the tragic mistakes that parents and grandparents make out of love and with good intentions and, and is to lend money to their children, especially if they're, they're married children. Okay? Giving is great. Giving is fantastic. But lending to our children and expecting repayment is, can be very damaging to our relationship. Some of you guys have, have been through this. The dynamic of that relationship is going to change because as Proverbs says, the borrower is... Slave to the lender, okay? You owe a family member money. That Thanksgiving turkey, you're sitting across from them, right? That turkey's going to taste different. That turkey is not going to taste as good if you owe that family member across from the table money, right? This is the re it's not good. To, that's why we don't do business with friends and family, right? That's why they say not to because it changes the dynamic of that relationship. There now becomes, instead of two uh, friends, either a utility friend, like you're working together, or a pleasure friend, like you, you just like to enjoy to do stuff together, uh, that friendship is now not like that anymore. One is a borrower, one is a lender. It's a master and slave relationship now. Okay, and that's the reason some of your friends that owe you money don't answer your calls anymore, right? <laughs> have you guys ever had that happen? I have. I've lost friends that way. That's why you, you give, but you don't lend at interest. You don't expect repayment. That's my suggestion. Marriage and money principle number four, aim to do things in order, okay? Uh, I just heard this on the Ramsey show yesterday. I'm doing yard work, listening to it, and uh, I had to throw this in, this money principle. All the data and research indicates that if you do marriage God's way, I mean, if you just get married rather than shacking up and trying to do things your way, if you get married and you do things like, uh, right, you wait until marriage to live together, you do things God's way, you wait until, wait until marriage to live together, you wait until after marriage to have kids and you attend a religious service once per week together, you are more likely to have a high quality of life more likely to build wealth and to succeed in your career and then have a lasting, satisfying marriage. 
I mean, just if you've just seen it married, they call that the marriage advantage, and I looked it up, and there's all sorts of stats out there in the secular, non-Christian world that say if you just get married, you're more likely to succeed financially. I mean, you're, think about it. Do things God's way, more likely to have a lasting marriage. Don't do things God's way, you're more likely to get divorced. I mean, you're four times more likely to get divorced if you shack up together first before getting married. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to challenge those odds. That's, that'd be pretty tough to beat that. It's called the marriage advantage. And um, if you've already gotten things a little out of order, uh, you know, because uh, we're sinners, we do that, um, it may be time to get on your knees and repent and move forward in obedience now the best you can. Move forward in obedience now. And remember, God can redeem any mess, right? He can redeem any mess. He can use it for His glory. I mean, He's the God of second chances. And, you know, um, even if you did mess things up, maybe you're a single parent and you've got all these kids to take care of, I'll remind you, God is Jehovah Jireh. And He'll provide all your needs. So, anyway, money principle number five. I said there was four. I forgot I added that, that one this morning to the notes. But... Number five is recognize the differences. Recognize the differences. Okay, there's where husband and wife are going to have differences and they can help or hinder that relationship. So first difference is gender. You know, that old, you know, basic biology we've forgotten about in our wokeness here these days. Um, God created us male and female different roles, different personalities. We're going to think differently. We're going to speak differently. We're going to hear differently. I mean, uh, even when it comes to money, typically. And that's okay. Because as we've been talking about, this whole marriage series is that our differences, male and female, different personalities, temperaments, whatever it is, it's by design. And it's for good. It's for our good that we're different. Larry Burkett Another uh, voice in the financial world, uh, Christian financial world, is if the husband and the wife were both the same, one of them would be unnecessary. Right? We wouldn't need two of us. Um, some, some of this, again, the differences are going to get into temperaments and personality, but typically women tend to have a sensitive tuition and, and act somewhat that way, and men tend to care more about the facts. Again, that's not in every case. I'm just saying Men typically say things like this, show me the numbers, I'll make a decision. I don't care about feelings. Give me the facts, right? And then uh, he can make a decision and he can just run over the feelings of his wife. Okay, so there's, there's see how that can hinder a relationship. Um, on the contrary, men uh, rightly, biblically feel the responsibility to provide for their family. And so if he's the breadwinner, and she complains and expresses doubt in his ability to provide, he's going to interpret that as rejection. Okay, so you have, to, you have to think about the differences between male and female when it comes to your finances, and God has, to ask, God has to give you wisdom for that. James 1, pray for wisdom. Family history is another one. Uh, two spouses can come from two different family spectrums or backgrounds. One might have grown up shopping the thrift store uh, growing up and, and pinching pennies you know, since they were, since they can remember, and then they might marry a spouse who grow, grew up in a very, you know, savvy investing family, and they, you know, bought 
new school clothes every year, designer school clothes. And uh, those two people come together, they're going to have different expectations on how to handle money, right? So you have to consider backgrounds. You have to consider uh, financial personalities. I mean, there's, there's natural savers and there's natural spenders. And they're going to butt heads if they don't understand who they are. Savers are going to be the, the folks who are good with numbers and planning. They like crunching numbers. They, they live for Excel spreadsheets, those poor souls. Uh, and then there's the, the free-spirited spenders. Sometimes um, that's true. Sometimes it's just someone enslaved to youthful lusts, right? And they can't quit spending. They don't have self-control. But uh, anyway, some of us are more free-spirited. Some, are, some of us like to save. And these differences can be a hindrance, but if, if we study our spouse, we get to know our spouse, and we're communicating well, and we can harness these differences to actually be a major help and, and blessing and balance to our marriage. His, his strength can meet her weakness, and her strength can meet his weakness. And this, this couple who, though very different, can become a very balanced and powerful team for God. But you got to get to know your spouse. That's why I recommend doing your budget together. Because you get to know one another. You make decisions together. Understanding your spouse's financial personality is going to uh, help you understand their reactions to money. You know, why they act the way they do. you got to get to know them. Now, it's going to help you find some middle ground that's balanced so you're not just only saving and you never, you never spend anything. You never enjoy your money and, and uh, vice versa. But uh, this genuinely seeking each other's perspective is going to go farther and bring you closer to your spouse than flowers and cards ever will. You're actually sitting down with your spouse, praying about your finances, getting to know them, getting their perspective, listening to them, building trust with your finances. This money is like a magnet. It can bring you, it can divide you, or it can bring you closer together than you've ever been before. More than just buying your spouse flowers and cards ever will, and chocolate, okay, and whatever else you bought that went over the budget. Um, this is true because it's true partnership and oneness being lived out in an area of life where we typically have a lot of emotions. There's a lot of emotions attached to money. And next week, uh, we're going to get into some, some specific steps that anyone can take to get control of their money and glorify God as a faithful steward. We're going to talk about creating a spending plan getting out of debt, building an emergency fund, investing for the future, and giving generously. And I'm excited about that because, uh, like Dave Ramsey says in his book, The Total Money Makeover, he says, I've never had someone write to me saying, I got on a budget, I got out of debt, I got on the same page with my spouse, I built wealth, and I hate it. No, they don't hate it. They enjoy the peaceful fruits of doing things God's way. They enjoy financial peace. They bless their family tree. Some of you guys feel like you have a curse on your family because it's just one slave after another. Slaves to the lender, slaves to the lender, slaves to the lenders. Let's break that curse by doing things God's way. And you start to bless your family tree just like the one wise little pig who 
took in his two brothers. Okay, you, and we're going we're gonna to build our houses out of bricks. Or in our case, building blocks. Right, same thing. So we don't have to fear when the big bad wolf comes knocking at the door and says, I'll huff and puff and blow your house in. Now you guys are going to go home and get on YouTube and show this little nursery story to your kids, right? I hope you do, actually, because there's a lot of wisdom in it. Now, as we come to the communion table, I want to challenge you, because this is a time of self-examination and celebration. We're celebrating how Christ has died for us, redeemed us, given us new life, been born again through His sacrifice, but what's the proper response to that? said, I recognize I'm bought with a price, and I owe Christ my life. And so I challenge you to, to, to come up, gather the elements, and then and we'll sit back down, we'll partake together. But as we wait, then we're quiet. And uh, I want you to think about and transfer that ownership of all your stuff, including yourself, your own heart, your own lives, your head, your heart, your hands. Transfer ownership back to God. He wants all of us, not just a part of us, right? And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.